The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Today we are, in fact, not just looking at those nine verses, we are covering seven chapters. Seven chapters of the building of the tabernacle as God gives Moses these instructions on how to build this tent-like um, building, this tabernacle where God would dwell with his people. And so before we get into that, I would love to just pray and then we will continue. Lord, thank you that you have given us your word. And as we look at your word, sometimes things look confusing. Sometimes things look tough. We don't understand. They might seem foreign to us, but we thank you that your word is alive and that it speaks to us. And so Holy Spirit, I pray you open our eyes to see what you have for us this morning in these chapters of your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so, to be honest, if you have a Bible reading plan, maybe you're doing Bible in a year and you start in Genesis, this is probably the point where you're like, mm, maybe I'll just go to the New Testament, right? It gets really tough as you get seven chapters of this very specific building plans of how to build this tabernacle. And we ask, like, what is actually going on? Why is there seven chapters? In fact, next week we take a short break from the tabernacle and we read the story about the golden calf, and that seems a bit more exciting. And then right after that, we get back into the actual construction of the tabernacle. Another seven or so chapters of the actual building of this tabernacle. So there is about 14 to 15 chapters in Exodus dedicated to this tabernacle. And so we need to ask, what is going on here? Why is it so specific and what does it mean for us? Because when we think about Exodus, maybe we think burning bush, or we think the parting of the sea, maybe the plagues. But over one third of this book is given to the tabernacle. This is the major theme in Exodus, the tabernacle. And so this morning, we're going to hopefully see what is the point of all this. And so instead of reading out seven chapters, it would probably take too long. For us visual learners, there's going to be a photo that's going to come up on the screen, and this is the tabernacle. Well, in fact, I'm going to show us real quickly what these seven chapters describe. The tabernacle is, in fact, that small tent in the middle there, and what we see around the outside is the courtyard of the tabernacle. It's where all Israel would come to worship God and make sacrifices, and it was made of this um, linen, this fine linen. And then the first thing you see is actually the altar of burnt offerings. So every morning and every evening, they would come and they would make sacrifices to God for their sin. And this was to be made of bronze. And as we keep moving in, we see the bronze basins where the priests would ceremonially wash their hands to cleanse themselves before making the sacrifices. And then we get into the actual tabernacle. If we jump to the next slide, we can zoom in a bit. And in here, there's kind of these two rooms. There is the first room, which is the holy place, and then behind that is the holy of holies. And as you go into the holy place, only the priests were allowed into this place, into the holy place. And it was surrounded by these, uh, these thick curtains made of that yarn that um, Dave read out, the blue and the purple and the scarlet yarn. And as you walk into that first room, the holy place, there is this table of bread, which is kind of cool. There's meant to be 12 loaves of bread, and they're called the bread of the presence, reminding that God is here, and this is his house. And it's kind of cool that there is food in God's house. That God puts food in his house, and there is to always be fresh bread in this place. Another thing we see is we see there is a lampstand, and it's kind of shaped like a tree. It's pretty cool, and the light always has to be on. 
There's oil that needs to be constantly burning in this place. So God's light is always on. There is food always in his house. And I just think that's a really cool symbolism. And the other thing that we see described is this altar of incense where they had to continually keep burning these spices and these herbs as this aroma would go up to God. And what's kind of funny is because of this incense burning, as they walk into this holy place, it would have been like this fog that would just cover everything. It would have been like this smoke in the atmosphere. And yet some of us think that the megachurches made the smoke machine up. It was, in fact, God that had the first smoke. Anyway, we don't have time for that. And then so we get into the holy of holies. And it was blocked by this veil, this curtain that was made of the same material as the rest of the tabernacle, but on it was embroidered these cherubim, these angelic creatures, the same creatures that we read were outside of Eden. Once Adam and Eve were sent out, they were to block Eden, block God's presence. And then inside this holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And only the high priest himself could go into this holy of holies and only once a year. And inside, he would take the blood from the sacrifice and he would sprinkle it on himself and sprinkle it on the ark to make uh, atonement for the forgiveness of sins for himself and for Israel. And on the ark of the covenant was this mercy seat made of pure gold. And so as we see, as we get closer and closer to the Holy of Holies, this place where God himself would dwell, the materials used would get finer and more precious. And so not only is this what is described in these seven chapters, but also it talks about what the priests had to wear. These garment-like things with jewels and bells and sashes and crowns. There was this full get-up that the priests had to wear in order to come into the tabernacle. And there is so much description in this as to exactly what has to take place. And so we ask, what is the point? Like, what is actually going on here? And what relevance does this have for us today? And man, let me tell you, it's awesome to have a look at this and see what God is saying in this building. Because not only were they meant to build this home for God, but it had to be built God's way. Not their way. God's way. And as we look at this, what we see, firstly, is there is echoes of Eden. There's echoes of Eden as God first dwelt with his people. We see this lampstand, like I said, looks like a tree. It's meant to resemble the tree of life. There is the cherubim on the curtain. There is so many imagery and symbolism that echoes Eden. But the the main thing that we see is God's presence with his people. As God first walked in Eden with Adam and Eve, God now desires to dwell with his people in the tabernacle. God with us. The presence of God is in this tabernacle. This tabernacle is meant to point Israel, remind Israel that God desires to be with them. Because what they needed more than anything else in this world was the presence of God in their life. What they needed more than the water from the rock, from the manna from heaven, what they needed more than even the law of life was the presence of God with his people. And so he was reminding them, hey, I want to be with you. I desire to be with you. And that is the whole point of the tabernacle. Dave read it in verse 8. And let them make a sanctuary that I might dwell in their midst. The whole point of the entire tabernacle was so God could dwell in their midst. So God could be with them. This is the story of the Bible. God with us. And so God makes a way to dwell with his people. What you and me need more than anything in this world is God's presence. 
is God with us. What we need more than the bigger house, what we need more than the fancy car or that great career or even the happy family is the presence of God in our lives, is God amongst us. This is what you and me need more than anything. And the cool thing is that's God's desire too. As we look at Scripture, we see it screams that God desires to dwell with his people, to dwell amongst us here at church, to be with us individually when we're at home alone. He desires to be with us. But the tabernacle also declares other truths about God and who he is. Just like your home talks about who you are and my home talks about who I am, in fact, my wife and I were building a house at the moment. Well, we're not building it. The builders are building a house. But we got to design it. We got to choose like, what we wanted in the house and what colors we liked. And as we designed our house, you can look at it and say, hey, I can see what Shane and Lauren are like based on how they've designed their house. Like, we, like, we love water. We love the beach. And so we put a pool in. Like, we enjoy having people over to commune and fellowship. And so we built like, a, a big open living area. We don't mind a glass of wine or two, so we may be putting it in a wine cellar. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus turned water into wine. But if you looked at our house, you would see elements about who we are. And the same is true when we look at the tabernacle. It declares truths about who our God is. And the first thing we see, and this is actually a big problem for us when we look at the tabernacle, is that God is holy and that you and me are not. That God is holy, he is set apart, and that you and I, that humanity, Israel, are not. And as you walk into this tabernacle, even the fact that there is this courtyard around the tabernacle, set apart from all the other tents where Israel were to live, you would see that God desires to be set apart because he is holy. They can't just come in whenever they want. And the fact that the tabernacle itself, only the high priest could go into the holy of holies. And the first thing that Israel would see every time they come into the courtyard was this altar of burnt offering, where sacrifices needed to be made for the sins in their lives. Every morning, every evening, every time they feel like they've broken a law, unintentionally or intentionally, they had to make a sacrifice. Think about it, one altar, the whole of Israel, constantly sacrificing, declaring that God is holy and that we are not. This is a big problem. But as we look at the tabernacle, we also see it declares something else. Not only is God holy, not only is he set apart, but he is merciful. And he desires to be close to his people, and so he makes a way. And we see this as we go into the Holy of Holies. That there is a mercy seat. We read in chapter 25, verse 17, it says, You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat. Where does God meet his people? At a mercy seat. Not a judgment seat, at a mercy seat. Why? Because judgment had fallen upon the sacrifice that had been made outside in the courtyard. So as the high priest walks into the Holy of Holies and kind of sprinkles the blood, scared, what does he see? A mercy seat where God would meet him. The tabernacle declares that God is holy and set apart, but that he is merciful and he desires to be with us, so he has made a way that his presence might fall upon. See, we couldn't go up to God because he is holy, so God has come down to us. 
And we see this climactically in Jesus. Jesus is the true tabernacle. Just as the tabernacle points back and echoes Eden, it foreshadows Jesus, who is our true tabernacle, our living tabernacle. It says, in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus, the fullness of God's presence was pleased to dwell. Jesus is our true tabernacle. And this is good news for us this morning. Because we walked in here and we sung about God being with us and Jesus being the king of our lives. And we rejoiced in his presence. And yet I didn't see any sacrifices being made out the front. There was no blood being sprinkled around. No one's, there's no smoke machines in here, right? And so what has changed? Like, what has changed between then and now? Because what hasn't changed is God is still holy and a sacrifice still needs to be made in order to come into his presence. What has changed? Jesus. Jesus is the true tabernacle. Not only is he the true tabernacle, he is the fulfillment of all the elements in the tabernacle. Jesus is the true bread of life. Jesus is the true light of the world that will never go out. Jesus is our true high priest who intercedes on our behalf to the Father. Jesus is our true basin, that we are no longer washed with water, we are washed by the blood of the Lamb. But most of all, Jesus is our true sacrifice, once and for all, for the forgiveness of our sins. And this is good news for us, this is what we celebrate. Jesus is our tabernacle. The living God has come down We read in 1 John, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And this word dwelt is the same root word where we get tabernacle. And so as we read it, we read that the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. Jesus himself has come to walk amongst us as God incarnate. And now we have unfiltered, uncensored access to the Father to the presence of God, that we can freely and boldly step into the throne room of grace. Why? Because of Jesus. If we do not understand the tabernacle, then we'll never fully understand what Christ has done for us. As we sing that the veil is torn, as we celebrated on Good Friday that when Jesus died, the veil was torn from top to bottom, if we don't understand the point of the veil in the tabernacle in the temple, that the separation between Israel and the holy God had been taken away and now we can freely step in and we'll never understand that that's what Jesus has done for us. That we no longer need to make sacrifice, we no longer need to wash every day because we are covered. And now we can step into God's presence whenever we want. Like this is good news for us. Jesus has made a way, why? Because God desires to dwell with his people. God wants to be with you. God with us, Emmanuel. This is what this tabernacle is all about as we read this very descript, specific instructions of how to build this tabernacle. We need to see that ultimately it's pointing to Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Do we desire to be with God here this morning? Do you desire to be with God? Do you desire to meet with God? To speak with God? To be, to sit in his presence? Maybe, maybe a better question is, do you know that God desires to be with you? He desires to meet you. To speak to you. To listen to you. To care for you. To show you that he loves you. 
Because what, what you and me need more than anything else in this world is God's presence in our life. And God has made a way for that to be true through his son, Jesus. And the good news for us Christians is we have something even better now. You say, what's better than Jesus? Well, Jesus has obviously ascended into heaven and we celebrate that. And he says, I have sent you my spirit. So we now have the spirit of Christ dwelling with us. It's what we celebrate at Pentecost, the fact that the Holy Spirit has come down to live inside of us. Jesus says, I'm making way for something greater. That I might go with you wherever you are. God with us. This is the good news of the Bible, that God is with us. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, you have the living God inside of you. Do you know how crazy that is? As we read Corinthians, it says that you and me are now the temple or the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. Look around, there's a bunch of little tabernacles in this room. And we get to come together as God's church and praise him for the fact that he is with us. Man, that should blow our minds. And yet some of us walk around like we're still out in the courtyard. When really you and I have become the holy of holies ourselves. As the presence of God lives inside of you and me. Man, this is worth rejoicing. It's so unfathomable to understand in our created minds that the creator dwells within us. And yet, it is true. And yet, this is what we celebrate. And we should rejoice in this. I want us to imagine something for a moment. Imagine telling Moses or trying to explain to Moses that this is now our reality, right? And you'd say, hey, Moses, you know, I can, um, I can meet with God whenever I want. And Moses would be like, what do you mean? Like, you, you can go in with the high priest. And he'd be like, no, 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 that'd be weird as. Like, I just, I, just, I just go and speak to God whenever I want. They like, what, like, you can, do you still need to make the sacrifices? Like, oh, no, 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 Jesus was our sacrifice once and for all, the forgiveness of sins. And Moses being like, what, what are you talking Like, Jesus, the Son of God, was your sacrifice. Like, yeah, yeah. So you just still need to wear those garments, those heavy outfits to enter into God's presence? Oh, no, no, no way. We're now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Like, imagine Moses' brain, and Moses would be like, well, let's go. What are we doing here? Let's go. I want to be in his presence. Like, hey, Moses, yeah, nah. He dwells within us. Like, how crazy is that? Like, how jealous would have Moses been? We look at Moses and go, man, I want that stuff. He'll look at us and go, I want God in me. Like, how crazy is that? And yet we can go a day or two without even thinking about it. The power of God, the presence of God dwells within us as his people. Like, this is something to get excited about. Like, we go to sporting events, and we can yell and shout at our team and raise our hands and yippee and woo-ha, Right? And then we come in here and we're like, and that's fine if that's how you worship, but this is something to get excited about. David, who is filled with the Spirit, writes, in your presence there is the fullness of joy. In your presence there is the fullness of joy. I want more joy in my life. I want to experience that fullness of joy. I want more comfort in my life. And not comfort as in how we would see contentment, but comfort from the Holy Spirit. 
We have this in Jesus. We have this in the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. We can go, our team wins the game, and we clap and we celebrate, and then we read that Jesus has died on the cross, that we no longer have to pay that debt, that we are clothed in the righteousness, we are forgiven for our sins freely forever. And we're like, oh, it sounds good. Just journal that in there. And I'm not saying we need to look a certain way or be a certain kind of person. What I'm saying is there is the fullness of joy in the presence of God. And that he desires to dwell with you in your midst, wherever you go. And this is good news for us, because this is what we need more than anything. And this changes everything. Every success, every failure, every moment of suffering, every moment of triumph, God is with us. In our marriages, at our workplaces, in our families, when we are alone, God is with us. This is the story of the Bible. God with his people. And this is what the tabernacle points to. If we were to break down the tabernacle, if we break down the whole story of Scripture into three words, it would be God with us. As we see in Eden, as God creates the world, he dwells and walks with Adam and Eve, God with us. And then we read the tabernacle was formed, that God would again come down, God with us, but only in part. And then we get to Solomon building the temple where God would then dwell, God with us. And we get to Jesus climatically. And we see Emmanuel, God with us. And that as he ascends, he sends his Holy Spirit, God with us. And then we get to Revelation. And we read one day and there's a new heaven and a new earth. And that we will stand in the unfiltered, uncensored presence of God, God with us. This is the story of the Bible as God desires to be with his people. John in his vision and revelation says, I saw no temple. Why? Because there was no need for a temple anymore. God dwelt amongst his people once again. What we see in the tabernacle is God is re-Edenizing the world. And that one day, in eternity, we'll be with him forever. In the presence of God. And all those things that we prayed for this morning will be gone. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering. What we will have, the fullness of joy. It says ever-increasing joy in the presence of God. Like, how crazy is that? Ever-increasing joy. Imagine after 10,000 years going, man, that's a lot of joy. Oh, no, there's more joy. Come on. That doesn't start in eternity. That starts now for those who have Christ inside of them through his spirit. Man, this is the best news ever. And as we look at the tabernacle, this is what we're meant to see. God with us. God desires to be with you. In every moment, whether good or bad, in every decision you have to make, God with you. In every sad moment, God with you. If you're suffering, man, more than ever, God with you. And then we get to the end of this long exhortation of how to build the tabernacle. There is so much specific instruction, so much detail from the types of materials they need to use to how they are to go into the tabernacle, when they are, to what they have to wear. We see that it's about God's presence with his people. And then right at the end, we read this. And the Lord said to Moses, 
chapter 31, verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all. Now I just want to stop here for a moment. God has just given Moses all this instruction of what they need to do. And then he says, hey, I want you to go to my people and say, above all. So above everything that I have just told you, above all the instructions from the law to now to everything they needed to do for the tabernacle, above all. And we ask the question, like, mate, like, what, do you, what do we think God's going to say here? Like, what, what, do we, what do we think God is going to say when he says above all? Do we think he's going to say, oh, above all, make sure that it's done right? Or above all, make sure it's pretty? Or above all, it needs to be done in 30 days? Like, what do we think he's going to say here? And yet we read in verse 12, and the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. Like, what the heck? <laughs> like, I read this and I was like, what, what are we, why are we back to Sabbath? Like, what's that going to do with the tabernacle? We just read about how to build this tabernacle. and says, hey, above all of that, Moses, tell my people, take the day off. Man, how good was our bosses were like this, right? And yet we live in a world that's all about striving and working and earning. And God says, hey, I need you to do this, but above all that, take the day off. In fact, if you keep reading on, he says, hey, and those who don't take a day off, I'm going to kill them. Like it gets hectic, right? Because this is important. What God is saying again, hey, what you need more than anything else beyond doing is actually just being with me in my presence. Our job here is just to be present in God's presence. Like how many of us know that we can be with somebody but not really be present with them, especially in this device-driven age? My wife will testify to this. I can be with her on the couch and not really be present with her at all, either on my laptop or phone or something. And God's saying, hey, what I need you to do is to stop. Because you and I are inclined to strive. are inclined to be self-reliant. And God is saying, no, I need you to stop doing and just be with me. Again, God is saying to them, what you need more than anything else is my presence in your life. Stop working. Stop straining. Stop striving. Because God is with us. And we need to stop and be with him. This is what this is about. Take the day off and be with me. The most important thing of all this was that we would sit in God's presence and understand that he desires to be with us. And so as the band come up, I want to ask us, like, how are we going with being with God? And I just mean like 10 minutes in the morning and then you've ticked the box or come to church and tick the box. Like, If that's all you can do, that's awesome. But God desires deep communion with his people. He desires deep relationships with each and every one of you. At every moment of your day, not just in the morning. How are we going with sitting in God's presence? How are we going with speaking to God, with crying out to God when we're suffering? How are we going with letting him minister us through his Holy Spirit, bringing us comfort, encouraging us? How are we going with letting God sanctify us? How are we going with being with 
God because he desires more than anything to be with you. And we see that in Jesus as he has made a way. Some of us think, oh no, God is just putting up with us because of what Jesus has done, right? And that one day he'll have to bring us home because we've placed our faith. That's not the gospel at all. That's not good news at all. We look at Jesus, we look at what he's done on the cross, and we go, well, that's how much God wants to be with us. God desires to dwell amongst us, and he has made a way through the forgiveness of our sins because of Jesus on the cross. And that he will rise again, and one day we will be with him in eternity. And so this is what we need to see this morning. God wants to be with us. Let's be with him. Let's meet with him. And I don't know this morning if some of us, like I feel like as a church we're pretty good at understanding that we are saved by grace. Like we hear it all the time. Maybe maybe you're not. And let me tell you this morning, you are saved by grace and not your works. But I think what we're more inclined to do as a people is to think that we are sustained by our works and not by grace. It was how, yeah, we know we're saved by faith, but yet we feel like, oh, I better do this or I better do that or else Jesus might not keep me in the faith. And that's not true at all. You're not only saved by grace, you are sustained by grace. And we know that because we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have God with us, and so we will never be exiled again. We will never again be cast out of Eden because God is now with us. And that's the good news. That's what we celebrate. And that's what this is all about this morning. And so not only is Jesus the fulfillment of the tabernacle, he's the fulfillment of the Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. What you and me need more than anything else, what our souls need and amongst the chaos and the distraction is Jesus. Yeah. We can have him. Yeah. So if you're, a Christ, if you're a Christian here this morning, let me encourage you, you've got the spirit of God within you. I just stop for a moment and understand how unfathomable that, that is. Like how crazy that is. Like God is with you. So as you go out into your weeks, my prayer is that you experience that, like tangibly experience the presence of God in your life. And you'll start to live in such a different way as you walk in God's power and his presence. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, I want to encourage you, God desires to be with you. God desires to meet you in and through the person of Jesus, that you can turn to him and you can talk to him. Place your trust in him because he is worthy. Because he is good and he loves you. We need more than anything else. And what we have is the presence of God with us. So let's celebrate that in our lives. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 